could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we are just over a week removed from a wild NBA trade deadline. So, now that we've seen a lot of those new look teams in action, that's going to be the focus of today's episode. Obviously, we have not seen the biggest dog of them all, Kevin Durant as a Phoenix Sun yet as he still recovers from an injury. But we have seen his ex-teammate, Kyrie Irving, suit up with the Dallas Mavericks, and play alongside Luka Doncic. So, Logan, what have been your first impressions, your thoughts on how that fit has actually materialized on the court so far? Yeah, I wasn't as big of a fan of the Kyrie acquisition um, as I I have become now that the move is done. I really like the Kyrie fit in Dallas, and I think that – not only can Luka and Kyrie coexist a little bit, I think Kyrie can do all the things that we laid out uh, for Luka, alleviate some of that pressure, give him another high-volume, high-octane guy who can just go out in isolation and get buckets for you. Um, they're 2-2. Two and two. We saw a, uh, an absolute crazy overtime duel with Sacramento, and then we saw kind of a, a last-second gaffe against Minnesota. Uh, we watched that together, Carson. I uh, told you to pull that clip up, and I think it's – I'll analyze that really quickly. I think it's going to be tough. Um, in late-game scenarios, it's always tough, delegating who takes that final shot. You know, even when their egos are bad, guys. I think about the biggest prime example in NBA history is when Scottie Pippen told Phil Jackson, fuck you, I'm not going back into the game because Phil drew up the play for Tony Kukoc. In this one, in an ironic twist of fate here, we see a guy like Kyrie hesitate to take that final shot. Now, the possession didn't start out the way they wanted it to. Ball gets knocked into the half court. They can't get into the pick and roll. Luka can't get downhill. They're really stuck on the perimeter. But Kyrie had an opportunity there to put that dagger in against the Timberwolves, and he hesitated that brief moment. That's something that we can't have out of Kyrie or Luka Doncic at the end of games. There needs to be no hesitation. And Kyrie, Kyrie Irving, for all the issues he has off the court, For all the issues about him as a person, he's a cold-blooded killer on the court, I still fundamentally believe. I think he's got ice coursing through his veins, and when there's a big shot to be taken, I trust Kyrie Irving to take it, and that's something that we're going to need to see uh, come to fruition. When you have that shot, I know Luka's beside you. I know Luka's like the best offensive player in basketball, Kyrie. Don't hesitate. When you get that little shed of daylight, you need to take that shot, and you need to have confidence that you're going to knock it down, and I think that's going to come with time, so I won't extrapolate that. I don't think it's a big issue that Kyrie tried to defer, tried to, I think it's honestly, I think it's encouraging that Kyrie tried to pass that ball up. He wasn't being selfish, but he needs to get that killer instinct back on the court, and I think it's going to come with time. The thing that makes the Dallas Mavericks a really scary playoff team and just unit moving forward is the absolute barrage of points that they are going to be able to put up in very small amounts of time. In that Timberwolves game, they're trailing by, I mean, 20, I think with like six or five minutes left, and like that, the lead evaporated. Now, it is the Minnesota Timberwolves. We've kind of seen that all year long against kind of any team they've played, but every team they've played, I know we're only 2-2 two and two with the Mavericks here, They put up points in an absolute hurry. We touched on it briefly after the Clippers game. They put up 41 points in the first quarter. Reggie Bullock goes off for five threes. And that's the thing with this offense. They're going to be able to go five out, space the floor like crazy. And anytime a help side defender on either side of the court tries to help off of Kyrie or of Luka, because you're going to need to. These are guys that can get points at at, uh, at will at any spot on the court. You see it in action. You slide just, I mean, give Tim Hardaway Jr. just a little shed of daylight. He's knocking it down. Give Reggie Bullock a little shed of daylight in that corner. He's knocking it down. This is a team that in the playoffs is going to be able to erase leads in the blink of an eye, and they're going to be able to extend leads in the blink of an eye. And half-court offense is inherently just going to be easy, and that's the beauty of this team. That's what makes them scary. Toe-to-toe, they're going to be able to compete with the Nuggets, with the Kings, with the dubs, with the Suns, I think, on the offensive end of the court, and that's what makes them a tough out in any series. No lead is safe um, at any given point, and they're going to be able to put up points in the blink of an eye. I think that they may have the best half-court offense out of any of those teams I laid out. Like, think about those teams that are going to struggle, Carson. Memphis, Mm -hmm. 
I would probably take Dallas in a series against Memphis. Shout out them for all the defense they play, for how gritty they are. Dallas has that half-court offense advantage, and Memphis is going to struggle in the half-court. Um, I'm trying to think about other teams off the top of my head. If the Lakers struggle in the half-court, if the Clippers struggle in the half-court, there's just a different level of half-court offensive ease that is going to come with having Kyrie and Luka, and there's so much floor spacing here, there's so much shooting, they're going to be a tough out. Now, there is a requisite level of defense that I think teams need to have to win a title, obviously, Carson. I'm not picking the Dallas Mavericks to win a title. I think that defense is going to shoot them in the foot at some point uh, in the playoffs. That being said, though, can another Western Conference Finals run be on the horizon? Hell yeah. I can see them winning two rounds through the playoffs. I wouldn't pick it. I don't think I'd pick it right now. Again, I need to see some level of a defensive ceiling here, but this team's going to be able to put up points in the blink of an eye really quick, just in a barrage because of all the shooting, because of the uh, because of their two stars. Um, and so, yeah, I can see them making a deep playoff run. Like I said, I wouldn't pick it, but this half-court offense is special and maybe the best in the league. I don't think that's unreasonable to say. I love the offensive fit. I love the offensive fit when this happened, and I think it has looked every bit as beautiful as we could have hoped for. In the 58 minutes of Luka and Kyrie that we've seen together, They've posted an offensive rating of 125.9. Very small sample size, but just unfathomably good. And we've seen Kyrie very effectively adjust his role a bit to playing with Luka, who's even more ball-dominant, heliocentric than, for example, a Kevin Durant. 25% of Kyrie's possessions so far in Dallas have been spot-ups, but we knew that that was a valuable part of his skill set, that he is that great catch and shooter, that he can attack closeouts, that he can quickly break guys down one-on-one -on -one and doesn't need to dictate every possession. And he was an 88th percentile spot-up score in Brooklyn. Part of why I love the fit. So I agree. The offensive ceiling, just with the creation of those two, the scoring and playmaking of Luka, the pure scoring brilliance in so many different ways of Kyrie and the shooting they can have around them and the spacing they constantly have playing five out, they do have as high an offensive ceiling as anybody in basketball. The problem is, I think it is the worst interior defense in the NBA. Since adding Kyrie in five games, they are allowing teams to shoot 75% from the field inside of five feet. That's 4% worse than any other team in the league, and they are allowing the most makes per game in that area. There was a time in that Timberwolves game, somewhere in the third quarter, where Minnesota was shooting 80% on two-pointers, period. Like, it was literally just a game of ant. Would you like to get to your left or would you like to get to your right? Oh, we've got Christian Wood. Aren't you so frightened? Oh, what if we stick Luke on you? Reggie Bullock is our big dog. Like, it was just a level of effortlessness for Ant that he doesn't often get to see. And so they are very clearly to me right now below the threshold that you need defensively to be a true title contender. We have never seen a team make the finals with a defense this bad. They're 24th in defensive rating. The closest was like the 2017 Cavs, right? But they were great offensively they were still better than this defensively and they were in a really weak east and yeah Maxi Kleba is gonna help them on that side of the ball like he will be a small ball five he's not offering true protection at the rim but he's super switchable like he can guard some big wings better than the options they have Nikola Jokic is decimating this team right I think any big physical downhill attacker is destroying this team I don't think they want to see LeBron and AD I'll tell you that they cannot match up they just cannot match up I don't care if they're a better offense than the Lakers they cannot match up physically against a team like that and they're just too far away and that's what my concern was with this deal from the beginning it's you need to keep Kyrie content long enough and then put the pieces together around them to make this a title contender. And I just don't know if that's a reliable formula when you're talking about Kyrie Irving and a group of wings and an overall defensive roster that is far away. So could they get to the Western Conference Finals? Maybe if they get a favorable draw, but every other team who we're talking about in this conversation has a significantly higher defensive ceiling. Like Warriors... Clippers, Lakers, even Nuggets, Grizzlies, of course, are on a completely different level, but also are much further behind offensively in the half court, as you said. 
I think it's their Achilles heel. They're too bad. They are too bad defensively, and I'm sorry if I don't believe that Maxi Kleba, <laughs> although he will have a positive impact, is going to elevate this team from worst interior defense, number 24 defense, to like the kind of top 10, top 12 defense they would need to be an actual title contender. They are outmatched in terms of personnel. They've given up their best wing defensively in Dorian Finney-Smith. They've added another liability at the point of attack in Kyrie Irving. All in all, it's just going to ultimately kill them. So it's not about this year anymore, in my opinion, really. Like, yeah, it's an open West. Not sure how open it is to the Dallas Mavericks as good as they are offensively. Like, I certainly think they can win a series. I think they could maybe even win two. But they are going to have to package together remaining contracts in this offseason to find a way to upgrade on the wings. And I will say, shout out Josh Green for being exceptional and just an overall awesome rise as a player, like as a rookie outside the rotation. Last year in the playoffs, he put up 1.4 points per game and over the Mavs last eight, he's putting up 15 a night on 53% from the field, 37% from three while being a legit plus defender. I've said, I think he's their best option for like great guards. When you're talking about going up against a Steph Curry, I think it's going to be Josh Green who handles that matchup. And he's in the starting lineup now. Just a really good all-around offensive player, shooting the ball well, good athlete, attacks closeouts, aggressive as a driver, makes the right read consistently, finds shooters. Like Josh Green is really good. But outside of that, their wings just aren't versatile. Like, they're kind of robots, right? It's like catch-and-shoot three machines. That's what THJ is for the most part. That's what Reggie Bullock is for the most part. That's what Kleba is going to be when he gets back. And then guys who aren't good enough defensively to make this team good on that end. Well, and that's the thing about shooters, right, is we can praise the half-court offense and the half-court ceiling that we know they can reach and that they're going to reach. You said the numbers. They have an offensive rating of nearly 126 uh, with these two guys on the floor, and it's also because they have Bullock and Hardaway. Uh, the thing when you have top, two top scorers who are this big of defensive liabilities, though, is you do need that wing defense, and you need a five-man who can protect the rim, and you need your shooters to be versatile defenders, too. That's why a guy like Reggie Bullock, Joe Harris, Duncan Robinson, Tim Hardaway, I'm not lumping yeah. all of these guys together, right? Hardaway and Bullock are in a different tier than Robinson and Harris, but to be a truly you know, great two-way guy. You have to be great on that end. And they have to pick up for Luka and Kyrie's deficiencies. The good part about this, though, is I think in the coming seasons, I think with a guy like his, you know, is on a big a contract as Hardaway, the guy on a contract like Bullocks, I think you can make a move. I think you can make moves where you're not sacrificing as much shooting because you're going to have inherent spacing because of Kyrie and Luka commanding so much attention everywhere on the court that I think you can go out and get two defensive wings. And we've seen that work in the past, Carson. We saw the Portland Trailblazers a few years ago with Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum heading the charge. You would give Mo Harkless, Al Farouk Aminu a lot of minutes. You get two strong, stout defensive wings. And that can carry you through the playoffs. You think about, um, you know, in the worst offensive era of basketball, Allen Iverson with some good defenders, and he got all the way to the finals. That's the beauty, though. Is I think Kyrie and Luka can be so offensively overwhelming that – if you put just two strong, big defensive wings around them uh, with a good five-man who's not a, a liability, because they don't have that guy right now, even if you point to like a JaVale McGee, he's getting sauced on by whoever you put on. You know, they can't compete with the Nuggets, I don't think. I don't think they can compete with the Lakers, like you said. There's just too much size there, and they don't have they don't, they don't have one guy. Um, JaVale, Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba, all those guys are getting eight on. But I do think, if you reload for next season, and that's where the fuckery of Kyrie Irving comes into play is because you hope that his head is screwed on straight and that he's ready to go for next season. If you can keep him happy, I think the Mavs could have a uh, a title window for a few years to come if if they can stick together because I don't think the formula is that crazy, man. Fill it out with good wing defenders, a couple scorers off the bench, another guy who can set the table, give relief to Luka and Kyrie, bada boom, bada bing, you're ready to go and you're back in title conversation. There is one more Mav. I want to give a shout-out to, because uh, you shouted out Josh Green. He has had a phenomenal year all year long, too. I think his playmaking chops are decent, too, man. Like his handle, I just didn't think Green had any of that. Um, he's had a fantastic year. I want to give a brief shout-out to Jaden Hardy, uh, just because the Kings drafted him. I was pissed they traded him draft night. 
Uh, I watched Jaden Hardy, uh, one of the few prospects I actually had tape on because he played for G League Ignite. Hardy got buckets, and I was excited when the Kings drafted him because he's just a guy who can fill it up. He's a crafty fucking bucket. And uh, with Kyrie out um, and Luke out for a little bit, Hardy got some burn. He's back down to like, you know, 12 to 15 minutes a night, which is probably where he is. They don't need more scoring punch. They need defense. Uh, but Jaden Hardy goes out and gets buckets, and um, I'm happy that He's getting some burn and is showing uh, his worth because he's a good player too. But I think you're right, Carson. I think eventually this is going to bite them in the ass this season. I think that, you know, th- yeah. there, there's a ceiling to this. There, There is a ceiling. And as uh, the great Michael Jordan once said, the ceiling is the roof so in true. this case. And I will say one last problem with their composition defensively is even their best wing defenders. Like, again, a Josh Green, good defender. Reggie Bullock is a fine defender. He's seen better days on that end, but he's not, like, a negative and could be a slight positive. But they don't have the big wing. So then it becomes, okay, we need Maxi mm-hmm. Kleba to take on that role. But also, I think they're feeling, and maybe it's different now because traditionally we've seen them go to that small ball five outlook in the playoffs. That's also been, though, with more traditional centers offensively guys who couldn't do what Christian can would can do, you know, as a floor spacer enabling them to still play five out while also being a big man defensively, but he's just not a good big man defensively. Like he can only play drop and he's not good at it. So if you try to play Kleba at the five and you're handling bigs with him, then I just don't like your options to guard big wings I just think they're completely undermanned in every way defensively, and I do think that that is going to bite them. And you're not switchable either, too, man. You think of it, a Kyrie's undersized, Luka's got really slow foot speed, can't switch on to, uh, you know, wings at all, Bullock, Hardaway, undersized, Kleba's foot speed is ass, can't switch, Christian Wood has the same issues. It's a defensive nightmare. I think you're being too hard on Maxi Kleba. Maxi Kleba's think- not a good defender, my man. He's their best option to guard big wings. He's actually a, a pretty solid defender. I don't know, dude. Maybe I'm just thinking about that Sun series from the playoffs, dude. Um, I mean, I know the Mavs won that. Like, I don't know, dude. Klebo is getting cooked. I think he moves his feet pretty well, and he's a big body, and he's I think, smart. I think he's a, I, I think he's a big, goofy-looking white guy, and that's why I don't like him. I actually think that that is probably it, because also the on-off data for him year-to-year year for their defense has been like consistently really good i don't have the numbers right in front of me but it's at the five or at the four uh, i haven't looked at it lineup specific just bottom line when he's on the court Mm -hmm. versus when he's off the court but maxi kleba they need him to be the savior defensively in dallas so uh we'll see if that's a successful formula let's talk about the other team that made big gutsy moves at the deadline the lakers We've only seen one game of their full new-look team, just given that LeBron was out with injury, but we've seen a few of the new-look supporting cast with D'Lo, Malik Beasley, Vando. Of course, Rui's been there for a couple weeks now. So what do you think about this Lake Show team, Logan? We talked about them being contenders theoretically, if they could get it all together. How has it actually looked out there on the court to you? This is gonna sound. This is gonna sound weird, and I don't want this to be taken out of context. I hope LeBron doesn't like mess it up, and and I, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I've liked the chemistry that I've seen from this team. I like the way guys are playing off of each other. It's really team oriented. There's, it's unselfish. Like, D'Lo is. It's just like everybody's sharing, man. It's. It's been nice these first couple games. Uh, D'Lo not doing too much with the rock in his hands. Um, the, the biggest improvement I've seen is just, I think defensively, I think this team is going to be really stout and be able to compete with anybody. Uh, the addition of Jared Vanderbilt is so huge for this team. He's one of the best rebounders in basketball. He's a high-energy guy, and I just think, I mean, damn, man, it is going to be hard to drive to the rack on this team no matter what lineup they're going with because you think about it, man. They've got size, dude. Uh, you know, you put Roy at the three, you put Vando at the four. Uh, 
AD at the five. Um, you slide in, you know, Mo, AD at the four, Roy at the three. Fucking, you know, and then you got LeBron, too, to slide in there. Like, when those guys are engaged, it's a long team that's very switchable, that doesn't really have any liabilities. And to the people that, like, D'Angelo Russell's a long, good defender, too, at this point in his career. You know, at most, you have one defensive liability on the court, and at least they're giving effort if it's, you know, Austin Reeves, uh, you know, whoever you're slotting in at that two-guard spot. Um I really like the defensive ceiling that I think this team's going to be able to reach. They're going to be able to rebound on a lot of teams. They've they've got a lot of length. And then, yeah, they're just going to play hard-nosed defense. For the Lakers to be legit contenders, uh, or Malik Beasley, too. Malik Beasley's not a slouch. He's not a great defender, but he's not a slouch either. I couldn't, you know, I forgot. He also was in the trade. God, man, the Lakers. Oh, I don't know if any team has ever improved more at the trade deadline, you know, with a slew of just normal assets, like uh, like the Kawhi deal, right? That was a deadline no. move, right? That just takes you over the... No. That wasn't a deadline move. Okay, then, I don't know. We've seen acquisitions, but nothing like a, a haul of just a lot of assets. But I think the Lakers improved more than any other team at the deadline. For this team to win a title, that's the goal, right? Because you don't know how much more of LeBron you have. You don't know... How long AD's going to stay healthy, man? And I hate beating that storyline like a dead horse, but it's sad, dude. AD's not even old yet, man. He just can't he can't stay on the court. You're going to need absolutely superb shooting um, from these guys around LeBron. You're going to need D'Lo. You're going to need Malik Beasley. I think they have the personnel. Reeves, Lonnie Walker. You're going to need these guys shooting like flamethrowers. Flame you're going to need AD to be knocking down jump shots, to be playing aggressive to be at a near MVP level, and you're going to need LeBron to turn back the clock and play the best goddamn basketball he has played in two years. This drop-off has been very slight. You're going to need LeBron to be aggressive. You're going to need him to, more importantly, and I hope he's doing this with the new unit and he's seeing the reinforcements that the Lakers got for him, he's going to have to let his ego down. And what I mean by that is LeBron's going to have to get back into the flow of the game. I feel like this season we've seen a lot LeBron put his head down, get upset, be quick to, very temperamental this year. And what I mean by that is, you know, not giving engagement on the defensive end or putting his head down because his teammates aren't doing the right thing. LeBron is going to have to play, I don't know, not just like another guy. He's going to have to take over in big moments because it's LeBron, but he's not going to be able to, he can't let shit, I don't know, like fluster him. You know what I mean? LeBron can can get like that. We're going to need LeBron to have his head you know, locked in on the game and just the game. Because this is a real opportunity, I think, for the Lakers to win a chip. Mm-hmm. I think the defense can be that good. I think you're looking at a top-10 defense. And again, if all those other things go right, because I was wrong too, Carson. Watching Roy Hachimura, if we're talking about individuals too, Hachimura can create off the bounce a little bit, dude. I've been really impressed um, getting into the mid-range or just getting downhill. It's invaluable because this team has not had any real go-to scores. If AD and LeBron can turn back the clock and play like some sort of a semblance like they did in 2020. This defense is going to be great. You need the shooters to shoot well around them. There's a path. There's a path. But also, too, the thing that not a lot of people are talking about, we're just so ready to put the Lakers yeah. in this conversation. The Lakers have to make the playoffs. Now, they're only they're like two games back out of play-in, right? Shouldn't be that hard, but... They've got to take the rest of this regular season serious, too. Um, every game is super important the rest of the way. The West is so deep, so good. Like, the Trailblazers aren't giving up either. You know, the Utah Jazz aren't going anywhere. Somehow the Oklahoma City Thunder keep winning games. I think that's going to drop off if I had to pick a team. But I think the Lakers can be legit contenders, but they're going to have to play their asses off just to get there first and foremost. But I believe... If AD gets to his ceiling, if LeBron gets to his ceiling, I think this team is still a legit contender. They improved so much, and uh, I believe in it, and they've looked good. And we again, we have yet to see a lot of tape with LeBron. I'm hoping that they get even better when he returns to the court. Yeah, it's interesting that you key in on LeBron because I key in on AD as the swing star here. Like, LeBron, yes, we need to see dial in defensively, but I just have faith that he's going to do that when it matters. Like, we know he's in energy conservation mode. He can't get up for every regular season game like that. I still think offensively he is uh, 
a borderline unparalleled physical force. And still? Yeah, dude. I mean, in terms of strength, he's still the strongest, you can't call him a wing, but perimeter initiator in the NBA. He still gets what he wants. Yeah, he just doesn't try to get what he wants as often. You know, he settles a little more often. Yeah, a little bit, but he still scores 30 a night on pretty damn good efficiency in the regular season yeah. at 38 years old, you know? I think LeBron, uh, offensively, can definitely still be the number one on a title team. I think he's proven that with his improved play after, yeah, a legitimately rocky start to the regular season. But AD, man, what happened to the guy who for a 10-game stretch was putting up 35-15-3, something we'd literally never mm -hmm. seen before on 70% true shooting and dominating every game defensively? He's just too inconsistent in terms of availability and in terms of offensive production on the court. And even defensively, hasn't quite been as consistently the menace that he was earlier in the year. But I will say that come playoff time, I think that we're going to see AD be monstrous on that end. But I think the foot maybe has still affected him. I don't know what exactly it is. All I know is we're back too often to frustrating AD after it was just consistently jaw-dropping, oh my God, this is what AD can be. Like, you look at some of these games, he goes back-to-back, -back, 9 of 22 against the Bucks, then 5 of 19 against the Dubs. It's like these are situations where LeBron's not out there. The team needs you to carry offensively, and there are just certain possessions where there's one in the Warriors game, he's getting fronted by Wiggs, then ends up getting pushed basically out to the three-point line that's where his position is now when he actually gets the entry pass so he starts his post up from there and then he does this little back down and clay comes over just to offer a little bit of help and he takes this spinning jumper against the double team and it's like man shocker ad that you missed and that's part of what was so great about his incredible stretch early this year is yes he was doing some of that like the skilled jump shooting was going well for him but he was doing less of it comparatively than any previous season in his career what he was mostly doing was getting all the way to the rim taking smart shots and more importantly than that even he was just murdering the touch shot short range game his little floaters and push shots and hooks in that six to ten foot range and he's just been missing those a bit more recently so He's still killing it on the glass, and again, I think he's certainly a top-five defender in basketball when push comes to shove, but what level is he going to be at offensively? Because, I mean, again, he got 13 points twice in a three-game stretch, under 23 out of four. Like, he cannot do that come playoff time. But I do think the ceiling is clear because we've seen AD at his best this year and he looked like a top five guy and we've seen LeBron at his best this year and he looks like a top eight guy. And uh, I really do like this supporting cast. I mean, Malik Beasley alone has such an important shooting dimension to this offense. The Lakers as a team have made just over 10 threes a game this year, 29th in the league. Malik in Utah was making 3.1 a night. Like, he's just a remarkable catch-and-shooter off movement, spotting up. And I agree with everything you said about Vando. I think he's just an important hustle, two-way guy, connector on offense. And Dilo has looked good so far. I mean, yeah, we can all complain about Dilo, but what's undeniable is that he is a significant upgrade in terms of skill to the Russell Westbrooks and Dennis Schroeders of the world. Like, it's oh my God, this guy actually knows how to play with some controlled pace out of the pick and roll and he can make floaters, he can make pull-up jumpers and he can make some advanced passes. So it's not always going to be perfect and this is while he's being a an overall plus defender, I would say. So that is the key point, I agree. This team has improved its skill in terms of shooting and creation as we expected and they've raised their defensive ceiling very small sample size but they're number two in defensive rating over the last three games and when LeBron is dialed in on that end I think they can be a menace defensively I mean they're comically long dude D'Lo is the smallest guy on the floor at 6'4 with a 6'10 wingspan as a good defender like that is serious size. They have serious athleticism and length and a lot of smart defenders. So I think 
that's going to be the end of the floor that carries them at their best, and they can be a top-10 offense with elite LeBron, elite AD, D'Lo playing within himself, good playmaking, and good shooting from the spot-up guys. Who do you think is uh, the third most important player uh, on this team down the stretch? I think it's D'Lo because he's the guy who's going to have the ball the third most, and he's the guy who's going to be entrusted with making big decisions and creating his own shot in big spots. And in the non-LeBron minutes, I think he's going to be the guy with the keys. So all the other role players to me don't have as much of that swing element because it's kind of like Malik Beasley's going to take a lot of shots and he's going to make a lot of shots. Vando is as reliable night to night as any role guy in the league. Rui's going to be a big body defensively and he's going to pick his spots to attack closeouts, get his own shot from the mid-range, big physical driver, as you mentioned. But D'Lo's the kind of guy who could go... 25 and 8 efficiently or could go 10 and 4 with four turnovers on 3 of 15 like so that's to me the guy who is the third most important in terms of what ceiling they can reach but I really like this team and I do think they can be contenders but you're right they have to dial in they have to get to the playoffs because they're going to be in the play-in most likely and at that point in the NBA, one game outcome, I mean, anything can happen. It can be all about who has a hot shooting night. So that is a scary position to be in, but that's where they're going to be because of how poorly they started this season and how late it was when they actually pulled the trigger on Russ. But they might not win a series, right? Because if you're in the play-in and if you get that eight seed and you draw the Denver Nuggets, I'm not picking them to beat the Nuggets. I'm not saying it's impossible at all, but I'm not picking it. Nuggets are just this cohesive, well-oiled machine that we've seen. The Lakers are still largely a theoretical contender. But if they get the Grizzlies, they win that. And then the Sacramento Kings are still the three seed. If that's the case, guess what? They can beat the Kings. I'd pick them to beat the Kings, certainly. And then you could see yourself in the Western Conference Finals. So I think a lot is possible for this team. But they need to be healthy. They need AD to be really good. But I don't even have concerns about the role guys really I think it's a really really good group I think it's 10 times the roster it was a couple weeks ago 100% and I want to say one last thing about the Lakers before we move on um, to the people that think uh, Russell Westbrook uh, you know should still be in the league or something uh, or is like a plus to teams because for some reason that is still circulating um, I think you should be lobotomized and I don't think you should be allowed to think about basketball <laughs> anymore if I'm being honest like, I don't think you've watched Russell Westbrook over the past two years. Uh, I pity the man. I think his confidence is shot. I can feel for a human being off the court, but on the court, it's different. Russell Westbrook has never been a winner and sadly never will be. I don't care what role you put him in, sixth man, starter, Russ stinks and should not be signed to a NBA team unless it is for a minimum contract. Uh, thank you. Have a nice day. I'll be here all week. Uh, like I said, dude, I do not think you should be allowed to think about basketball if you still think Russell Westbrook should be on a roster. Thank you. I just had to get that off my chest. I think on a roster is maybe a bit strong. If you think he is an impactful guy in terms of winning because he gets his 16, 6, and 7 a night, then I would certainly agree with you. But Logan advocating for lobotomies in the year 2023. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll get my ice pick. I'll do it for you. Okay, <laughs> you guys heard it here first. He's offering them. I think he, uh, I don't I'll, know. It kind of seems like he knows what he's doing. I'll take you out to my igloo. We'll handle business. Truz. Yeah, big Truz. Woo woo. Yeah, listen, I don't need to engage in any more Russ slander. I've been doing it for the last seven years of my life, except it's not slander. We misuse that word in today's world. It's uh, very well substantiated criticism. Yeah, he's a good passer. Yeah, he gets to the bucket. Unfortunately, he just can't finish, so he's kind of got to create for somebody else in those spots. The Lakers are so, so, so much better off not only having eliminated Russ minutes, but having replaced those minutes with some really good basketball players, the kind of guys who you actually need if you want to go out and win a title, shooting and defense and perimeter shot making and secondary ball handling, like – this is a different team, and it's exciting. This is definitely the best team 
since they won the title. Like, every cast of role players since then has been pretty comical. Like, it was the Andre Drummond, Dennis Schroeder as our best guard show, and then last year was just the overall Russ disaster, and this year was largely on that same trajectory. So, the cast of role players who they had in their title year, you had Caruso, you had KCP, you had Kuz, you had Rondo playing some of his best. So, I don't want to say that this group is better, but I think it's... On par. I said it was a better roster on the initial trade deadline pod. I've since reflected, but I really, really like this cast of role, guys. So I'm in on the Lakers if LeBron and AD are healthy and if AD can uh, be a man and play up to his potential. Let's talk about the Nets because they've been one of the more interesting teams to monitor over this past week. Obviously, we haven't seen KD and Phoenix again, but we have seen Macal Bridges and Cam Johnson and Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith in Brooklyn. So, Logan, what have you thought about the Nets, and what do you think they're capable of this year? Uh, well, shout-out Macal Bridges uh, this last game, uh, 45 pieces, the Miami Heat. And I really like I really like Brooklyn as, I was going to say, as like a landing spot or a destination for a big-time star, and that was kind of my takeaway after they traded away KD is that in a lot of ways, Brooklyn has a lot of assets where they could move off of a few of these guys with a pick or two, and they could go out and get a star and be genuine contenders because you've got a lot of shooting, you've got a lot of length, and you've got a lot of dynamic guys who do who are multifaceted. They do a lot of different things. And so I think it's an attractive destination for a star. And if you're not a star, this is just going to be a competitive, hard-nosed team night to night that plays really unselfishly. I like that Against Miami specifically, they were attacking mismatches. And Macau Bridges is a guy who didn't get to showcase a lot of what he's able to do in Phoenix because of the role that he was in. Um, behind Booker and TP3 as ball handlers, behind Aiden even as a you know as a scorer, as a guy who touches the rock a lot. Uh, watching him against Miami initiating. Now, I don't want people to blow this out of proportion. Yes, Macau dropped a 45 piece, and he is a mismatch. When he gets a smaller guard on him, he's going to be hard to stop because he's long as shit and he's got really good touch inside the arc and he's a decent shooter. Um, he's going to be really hard when you switch a big onto him because he's just quicker and he's got a decent handle so he can get around bigger guys and get to his spots. And that's what a lot of the Miami game was. That's why I don't want to blow it out of proportion. You've got Gabe Vincent switching onto him or Max Struess or Omer Yurt 7 and it's like, no, it's impressive. Don't get me wrong, man. It's hard as fuck to score 45 points in an NBA game. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of these things was McCall taking advantage of mismatches and doing his thing and the Heat falling asleep on defense a little bit. And honestly, that's been a real theme of the Heat season. I don't want to make this a Heat thing. I like watching Miami. I like Miami a lot. Miami sucks on the road, and they just disappear during games. And it, it sucks. I, I don't really understand it. Miami will look like an NBA Finals contender this game. The next game, they will completely put in a fucking stinker and not even show up. And I think that was the case against Miami. But on the whole, um, you're looking at a really, really good uh, just team that I think supports each other. There's going to be a stout defense. I'm sure everybody's seen the clip against them in Philly and how switchable they are. That's the biggest thing I'd say is that you've got five guys on the court at all times that can switch in any situation mm -hmm. on the perimeter. DFS, Macau, Dinwiddie. Clacks. Um, I don't know who you want to put it. Cam, that's the one thing. I'm going to get on Cam Johnson's ass real quick. That Knicks game was fucking horrendous, man. There were like 10 straight possessions where they were picking on Cam. Cam Johnson is not a great defender. He's long. He can move a little bit. He tries. Bless his heart. Uh, is not a great defender whatsoever, <laughs> man. Like, Cam was getting shit on by Jalen Brunson and some of the Knicks crew the other night. That being said... Uh, ben Simmons, maybe too, not a great defender. Seth Curry, like, they've got a bunch of really good role players. I think we're going to see McCall take his game up a notch, averaging probably, I'd say, maybe 23, 6 and 4 down the stretch. I don't really wow. think that's that's out of the realm of possibility, or at least like 25 and 5. I think we're going to see McCall blossom into, not even blossom, I think this is the player he's always been. I just don't really think he's had the opportunity as the guy. I don't really know if I think about McCall any differently as a player. You know, he's just in an elevated role. Um, but 
I really like Brooklyn. They're going to be a tough defense. I think this team is going to make the playoffs. I think they're going to be a tough out. Right now, they're the five seed sitting at 34-24. and 24. Uh, They'd be matched up against Cleveland. I think they get ran in that series. Uh, I, I think the Nets are kind of that threshold for contenders out east, right? Like everybody else below them is not really in that tier. The top four are Cleveland, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston. And then Brooklyn's like that, I don't know, the, the barometer, you know, the measuring stick. Uh yeah, I think there's a really high defensive ceiling that Brooklyn could reach. I don't really see anything higher this season. But like I said, good on Joe Side, good on Sean Marks for recouping value, for having a team full of deep role players. And like I said, man, I think that if a, we've been talking about this on the pod like all year long, Carson, we've said this basically any time a star has been disgruntled. Guys, the NBA, players move faster than any other league in sports. Guys, but you know, player movement is so much more rapid in the NBA than any other place, and that's why I think I don't know who that next guy is right now because we saw a lot of movement at this deadline. If a star becomes available, I think Brooklyn's very attractive, and I think you could win by just plugging in one star. Like I said, I don't know who that is, who that guy is right now, but I think they should be content that they're going to be competitive night to night. I wouldn't look at it as mediocrity. I would look at it as a chance for some of these young guys to grow like Macau and I don't know, a chance to, I don't know, man, maybe rebuild Ben Simmons too. <laughs> it sucks. You were, you were supposed to win a title. That's, you know, it sucks. Uh, we've seen Brooklyn's, I feel bad for their emotions. Now you're just a team full of really good role players, but I think they play fun basketball and I enjoy watching the Brooklyn Nets. And so for me as a basketball fan, I like what they did because they're a fun, hard nosed team and they've got a lot of really talented guys up and down their roster except Dayron Sharp man I don't know if Dayron's gonna last Carson uh used to be your guy Dayron is still my guy and he's a still when you watch clips of the Nets man Dayron just he just falls asleep defensively he's a little slow doesn't really have an offensive game like every bucket he scores is just an offensive rebound yeah I never really got why he was your guy he's pretty much just a really good rebounder (laughs) Yeah, he's a really good rebounder. He could, he could, at North Carolina, he could pass that ball a little bit too out of the like elbow and stuff. Um, I don't think Dayron's going to have a job much longer, sadly, but he's still my guy. Yeah. Shout out Dayron <laughs> I love what the Nets got back. And I said in the moment, I thought it was a great haul. And Macau is interesting because. He is a guy who has consistently gotten better. Year to year, we have seen him add more in terms of his creation off the dribble, in terms of his playmaking. Like, he went from being pretty much straight catch-and-shooter, good cutter, to, hey, all right, we can entrust this guy with some ball handling, and he's got the mid-range pull-up game. And into he's a guy who sees the floor well. My problem with McCall is... He's not a good technical passer. Like, a lot of his passes are off target. But I think he's an unselfish guy. And I I like his feel out of the pick and roll. So, I think that he is ultimately a two or a three on a really, really good team. Like, he is going to excel still in the defensive end obviously like he's one of the best pure perimeter defenders in basketball he's going to be that remarkable off ball guy and then he's good enough at the creation he's actually a 77th percentile pick and roll ball handler this year and he does have pretty good pace for a guy of his size like he'll get people in jail he'll get you on his back take that little bump get into his mid-range pull up he does have that self-creation from the mid-range 44 percent this year which is good he doesn't go to his floater a ton but he has it in the bag he's made 43 percent this year and then he's an okay playmaker so he's like respectable in that aspect of the game and has improved and can maybe grow like I don't know that I see an overwhelmingly high ceiling there especially because he doesn't shoot pull-up threes like, he's 32% on pull-up threes this year. He takes one every other game. And so that kind of pull-up jump shooting game is pretty essential without being a great athlete downhill force, which he is not, to being like a star perimeter creator. But I think he can be a star by having all-around impact and then being good enough at the higher level creating for yourself, creating for others. Because he's going to be all-world at the complimentary stuff that I already mentioned that he always has been exceptional at. 
And he is a bit of a mismatch, yeah? I mean, yeah. most match, it's it's a tough draw. It is. I mean, he's, yeah, a big guy. Well, he's 6'7", but he's got those long-ass arms. His release point is high, and uh, he can shoot over you. And, yeah, he handles well. He can get his own shot. He's a really good player, and I think is clearly going to be a top 25, top 30 asset in this league. I will say... I mean, when you talk about them being one star away, it's hard not to think about that, right? Because you look at it and it's like everything's in place. I mean, you have this insane defensive ceiling with the switchability that you mentioned and with Claxton as the interior anchor and with Bridges, O'Neal, and DFS all as perimeter pieces. It's unfathomable. And then it's like, imagine just sticking one dynamic guard in there. Like, Yeah, dude. It's like, what if we had Kyrie Irving? It is like, what if we had Kyrie Irving? Or imagine if... Portland could finally move on I, I, from Dame, and it literally, was like, bro, that was that was my exact thought. I had that the other night that if if that could somehow happen, yeah. they're immediate contenders. If they were like, hey, let's give you Simmons and some of the picks that we just got back from Phoenix, three of those or whatever. But the problem is, although they do have movable contracts, Simmons, you need to take on two more years after this. It's not super intriguing, but if you attach picks to that, maybe. But then it's like the mid-sized ones who they don't need to be attached to. Dinwiddie at $20 million, Joe Harris at $18 million. Those are going to be expirings next year. Like Those are going to be movable, and they don't care about those guys. And maybe you could throw that in to make cap work with a star, again, if you attach some picks alongside it. Because some of the value contracts they have, Seth Curry, they're going to need to re-sign right now. Uh, he's $8 million. Patty Mills, $6 million. Cam Johnson, they're going to need to re-sign, $6 million. Cam Thomas, $2 million. McCow, $20 million. Locked down, he's only going to be 25 and. 2026 that's going to be one of the best value contracts in the league then with how much the cap is going to increase to dfs they have at good value so it's like they could move off of some of those less favorable contracts that also aren't going to handcuff other teams because they're short term and attach picks and get a star and they would be really really good the question is just does that make sense in terms of their direction like is that really what they want to do because they just got all these picks back for KD and then what if they still just aren't quite good enough and they fall a bit short they are in a difficult spot largely because they're so attached to Ben Simmons who was a 40 million dollar nightmare but I do really like the foundational piece that they have in McCall and I do love Nick Claxton who's still just 23 and Cam Johnson is a a good player and cam thomas does still have this sky high scoring ceiling we'll see how he can build out the rest of his game so my guess is they aren't gonna go try to make another gutsy move i also don't know how much stars are gonna want to come to brooklyn given all the negative stuff we've seen about mm -hmm. Josiah. seems to be a real a real turnoff for great basketball players but for now they have mccall they have cam and they're going to be competitive this year. I don't think they have the offensive skill to win a playoff series, but I do think with their length, with their defensive ceiling, they can make you uncomfortable, and they're going to be a tough out, definitely. But bottom line is high-level shot creation, effortless offense. It takes you farther normally in this league, unless, like the Mavs we were talking about, you're one of the worst defenses in the league. But even then, it can take you pretty far, so... It's a fun year for them. I like what they're building. This is not a year that we look at the Nets and say, oh my God, wait, are they better without Kyrie and KD? <laughs> Hold on. Ewing theory alert. It's not going to go that far. And maybe too, uh, rose-tinted goggles, you know, glass half full. Maybe Cam uh, does become, you know, even more of a dynamic uh, guard, you know, just an insane oh, yeah. bucket. Maybe McCall takes another step, too. And then you're looking at two guys on value contracts who could be a, I don't know, maybe a two and a three on a title team. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is they're still going to have to make that move to get a star if they want to win a title with this current core. But, yeah, I mean, it's all about choosing your direction, right? Because you either bank on a few of these guys as your assets of the future and you, you know, hold on to them as your bench and you let some of these guys walk, use the first, try to package them, uh, you know, to move up to get that guy in the draft if you think you've got him. Or, I don't know, you stand pat and just kind of let things fall. I, I, I side with 
somehow trying attempting to get a star in the next two seasons yeah. because I do think they have a contending core. And look, it's not going to be easy out east. The east is tough, just like the west is. I mean, the west I think is a little more open uh, because you don't have Milwaukee and Boston in your conference, and that just sucks. But I don't know. You also could make the argument that no other team out east, outside of say Cleveland, is more well equipped to deal with you know teams like that because that's what you're going to need. You're going to need a lot of really switchable guys, versatile defenders who are strong, and you've got a lot of that with Brooklyn, and you're going to be going up against tough teams like that with size. Yeah. When you're going up against Tatum, when you're going up against JB, Horford, Milwaukee, when you're going up against Giannis and Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez, Brooklyn and Cleveland have the size to deal with those guys. Um, I want Brooklyn to make a move. I want them to be competitive. I want them to get a star. I want, I want them to be able to compete for a title. This isn't that season, but they play fun basketball. You should watch Brooklyn. I enjoy watching Brooklyn. They're a very fun team to watch. And again, I don't know, man. Teams without that star, it's fun, dude. It's a little more unselfish. It's a little wild. And I don't know, all these new pieces together, it is fun kind of watching them try to gel together. And I think they play, I think they've played really, really cohesively and really well for these first couple games that we've seen without, you know, having prior experience. And I will say, it would be really fun to see them go get a star because they don't have their own first for the next five years anyways. Like, they have no incentive not to be good the only concern with that is, well, are we going to give up the draft capital that we have acquired from, like, the KD trade? I don't know, but it would be fun. I, I would love to see Dame there legitimately. That's the example where I'm just like, oh, my God, if you could hide some of his defensive shortcomings with just length everywhere and give him all these great complementary pieces and then add that really great offensive engine, that would be awesome. But not going to happen this year. Good for Brooklyn, though. They did a good job of making the best of a really pretty rough situation. So that's going to do it for us here today, guys. As always, appreciate you listening in. If you enjoyed it, the good news is there is plenty more Nerd Sesh content. Check us out on TikTok at Nerd Sesh. That's where we're the most prolific trivia content. Uh, clips from the podcast, basketball breakdowns, stuff like that will all be there. Follow us across social media, Instagram at Nerd Sesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. Join our Discord. The link to that is in uh, our bio across social platforms. Just a place where you can come and pretty much talk with us about anything in the world of sports. So check us out across all those places. YouTube, we come out with some basketball breakdown content as well. Some video essays. So stay dialed in. And as always, appreciate you guys. With that, I've been Carson Breber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.